following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. All right, you guys ready to study the Bible together? Let's do it. We're in Mark 6. Go there if you can. Uh, we're continuing in our series. It's called Servant King. We're going verse by verse through Mark. And uh, we're in chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 30 today. And what you're going to see is you could, you could chop it up basically into three sections. You've got a couple different big, well known miracles happening, and then a mention of some other smaller ones at the end. And. Uh, Commentators often will point out that this, this section of Scripture, it, it highlights um, Christ's mastery over creation. And that, that oftentimes kind of ends up being the, like, that's the big point of what we're supposed to see here. And, and I think that is a point, but I, th- I think it's a, a sub-point that ties into a larger point that, if we were to miss it, would be really a bummer. So, uh, we're going to read... Mark 6, we're we're doing verses 30 uh, all the way to 56, so quite a few verses, but uh, I'll have you out in time to get lunch before you pass out, I promise. Okay, Um, Mark 6, verse 30, here we go. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities, and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, His disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat, roughly eight months' wages? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them as well. They all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up twelve full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were five thousand men who ate the loaves. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moved to the shore. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him. 
and ran about the whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak and as many as touched it were being cured. Praise God for his word. Amen. Now, if you've, if you've seen this preached before, you probably would have seen these miracles split up, but I'm going to show you why I think, you know, even though that's a lot of verses, I think it's imperative that, that we take them together. There's, there's a big theme here that we need to see all of it. As we go back and we look at, uh, starting in verses, you know, 30 through 44, basically, uh, we see this idea that uh, Jesus begins to preach and uh, he says it was already quite late. And, uh, you know, so people were sitting there long enough to get hungry. First of all, they, they figured out where he was, right? So the disciples just got done doing all this ministry. They report to Jesus. Jesus is like, all right, let's, let's go chill out a minute. And so they, they push off and they head out in the boat. People are peeping where they're at, right? And telling all their buddies. And everybody from all the cities are running out ahead. And so they're, they're trying to get some rest. And then, you know, here comes the boat up to the edge of the shore. And what do they find? A bunch more people, right? And so what does it say? Jesus has compassion on them. He begins to teach them. And they're all there long enough uh, that everybody's hungry. And that, that just kind of, it, it, it's an echo to me. And it reminds me uh, of, of in, it's in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, where Ezra, you know, the, the scroll of the law has been lost for a long time. Nobody's paying attention to it. And, and, and he gets it out and he just starts reading it. And it, it gives you the time frame. It says from early morning to midday. So we're looking from like four to six hours. They're just reading the scroll of the law. And it says the people were engaged, man. They would stand up and they would sit down and they were, and, and, and they were weeping as they heard the law, as they heard the standard of God laid out and they compared themselves to that standard. Four to six hours. Now, I'm not trying to set you guys up for a four to six hour sermon today. I know I would need to probably warn you first. But I'm just saying, when, when I think of, you know, people, people talk about, a, you know, they think about times like the Great Awakening or different revivals throughout church history. And, and I think different people have different ideas of what that is. But if, if we're praying for that and we're hoping for that, I hope we are. This is one of the features that I think we're going to see, man. It's such a hunger for God's word. A hunger for the words of Christ, man. A hunger for God's word alone and the sustenance that comes from that. Man, people just sit for hours and, and, and they want it. They want more of it. You got you to shoo them away. That's what keeps happening here, right? It's, it's not that everyone's like, man, this guy talks forever, right? I know none of you have ever said that about me. But, you know, some people say that about some people. But here, man, it's like, you know... They're teaching, they're doing ministry, it just kind of keeps on going, and then finally, you know, it gets to the point where later on here, Jesus, after he feeds them, has to shoo them away. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm excited for the day when I, I say amen at the end and pray and, and, and look up and, know, and everyone's like, get your Bible back out, preacher, we're not done yet. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm here for it, so amen. Uh, so let's, I think it's important, and, and this is Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you've heard this passage of Scripture preached before, but I don't think we can look at this without pointing this out because there's such a, a high frequency of, of the propensity for people to, to get tripped up in this way. I think it's good for us to ask the question, how did this miracle happen, right? And, and there's a detail in Mark's account that is, is, is missing from some of the other Gospels say. Some of the other Gospels let us know that, that those five loaves and two fish, that that was a little boy's lunch, Right? And so we ask ourselves, how was this miracle able to happen, right? Well, there, there, there had to be something to start with, 
Now, could Jesus have made it out of nothing? Sure he could have, but he didn't. This miracle happened this way, that someone was willing to hand Jesus their laughable little portion and trust him. That's how this miracle happened. That's how this feeding of of 5,000 men plus women and children. And what does that say to us? That this happened that way. Dear friends, it, it should cause us to come to this realization, can we please stop believing the lie that all of our imperfections and our inadequacies disqualify us from being used for God's glory? The disciples didn't get it, did they? Should we go spend 200 denarii? You can hear the sass in their voice, right? Is that what you want us to do, Jesus? And we also, you know, oh, I almost gave away the, I almost gave away the Easter egg. Okay, whew. Let me reset. We got we to stop believing that our inadequacies and, and, and all of our imperfections, they disqualify us from being used for God's glory. Will, will we, can we, friends, can we consider the arc of biblical history and the lineup of liars and murderers and harlots and rejects that God hand-selected to carry out his redemptive purposes in the world? Can we stop believing that lie? I just I, I encounter it so often that if I get a chance in the scriptures to bring a truth hammer to crush that lie, I'm going to do it every single time. Can we agree that God delights in taking us in all our inadequacies, in all our brokenness, in all our imperfection, and doing stuff with us that magnifies his glory even further because if he hadn't taken us and done what he'd done with us, If he hadn't done something with us, we could have never accomplished that anyways. God is glorified in taking us in all of our messed up brokenness and doing something with us. But so many people, whether whether it's an excuse because they're scared of what it really means to open up and commit to what God may do with them, that can be some of it. Or some of it is they're just sometimes so beat down in this belief that they're unworthy to be used by God. Well, that just flies in the face of the entire arc of biblical history and this important uh, miracle right here and, and what Jesus shows us through it. So I just, I, I just want to say it again. Can we stop believing that lie, please? And can we act accordingly? Some little boy said, here's my junky little barley loaves and my two little fish that, that literally means nothing in the face of this giant crowd. But okay, Jesus, here you go. And what'd he do? Boy, he took it and did something with it, didn't he? Amen. All right, verses 45 through 52, that, that shows us the disciples getting in the boat, obeying Jesus, go across the other side. But what happens? Yet again, <laughs> Jesus apparently sets them up for the okie doke, right? Because you guys get in the boat, go across, what happens? There's a prevailing wind against them. It says they're, they're, just, they're at the oars all night, going hard, not getting anywhere, struggling. Can you put yourself in their shoes, right? Like, have you ever been in their shoes? Jesus, I'm obeying you. I did exactly what you told me to do, exactly what I thought you were asking me to do. And here I am, oaring, sweating, suffering, struggling. What is going on? The question I would pose to us is, if, if, what if in those type of situations, what if we stopped frantically shouting, God, why are you doing this to me? 
And we started whispering confidently, Father, what, what are you showing me? Because, friends, there's a reason, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pop this cork off in a second, and you're going to see. There's a reason why these events happened exactly like they did. There's a reason why they were in that boat and there was a prevailing wind. There's a reason Jesus was doing all of that. And the promise you're going to see stands true that he was doing it for their good. How could that be for their good? Oh, friends, let me show you. Verse 52. So, I, you know, as, as studying these verses again and looking at them again, you know, I was, I, was, I was heading in the direction of, okay, yeah, Jesus, mastery over creation, and that's where a lot of the commentators land. And, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that, and I'm starting to lay something out. But then this, this, this verse, man, it just stuck in my crawl, and it's, it was like, what is, what is that? What, what is going on here? It was verse 52. For they, so what happens? You know, they're rowing, they're not getting anywhere. Jesus walks on the water to them. We see conspicuously missing here the details about Peter, right, jumping out. Again, we don't have, we don't have a biblical confirmation of this, but there's some context clues and history that would point us to think that maybe Peter was the source material for the book of Mark. And so I don't know if Peter uh, was being humble and didn't want to talk about the fact that he was the only guy that jumped out of the boat, or if he was, you know, being Peter sometimes and didn't want everyone to know he sunk. I'm not sure why, but that detail didn't make it in Mark's account. Thankfully, it was elsewhere, because there's things we can learn from that as well. But they're in the boat. They're going across the water. Jesus comes walking on the water, right? They've been struggling. As soon as he gets in the boat, it almost is like there's this, this like, you know, like nightcrawler from the X-Men. They're just, they were there, and then they were there. Okay? So, why are you talking about X-Men? Are you some kind of nerd? Maybe. Are you? Mutants are cool. All right. So he got in the boat with them. The wind stopped. It says they were utterly astonished. Okay. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. I'm like, hold on. What is that about? It's seeming to say this entire event with the boat and, and all that happening and them ending up astonished at the end, like the whole thing was a setup. Why? Because, because what? They had not gained any insight from the incident of the lows. How are those, well, how are those tied together? You got it? It's, it's not that easy. So I'm like, okay, Lord, we got to think about this. You got to help me. <clears throat> so the question I'm posing to you is, okay, what insight were they missing that it says they didn't gain. They were there, right there. Loaves into their hands, into people's hands. They were watching it happen, but there's some insight here. The Word of God says that they missed. Jesus was trying to show them with the following event, right? Which is why I think it's so important, Jesus walking on water and this bread and fishes thing gets put together like it's supposed to be, right? I know, you know, Reading a lot of verses sometimes is tough for our, our 2020 attention span, but man, it's real important that we read this stuff in context because there's a tie-in here. In the mind of the writer, Mark thinks there's a tie-in, right? So what is it? What, what, is, this, what is this insight they were missing, in, and, and how was Jesus practically shouting that insight, right? It wasn't that Jesus was overly vague, which I want to show you, about what that insight was. It's, it's the disciples' hearts were hard. And so they were going to need another lesson, a boat lesson. I'm going to propose to you this insight that they missed. It's not just an insight. It's the insight. And 
though many of us claim to believe it, our worries and anxieties and apathy sometimes betray a shallow quality to our belief that means it can be easily shaken. Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you clues, okay? And this is, I'm, I'm asking for participation. What are we at? What, the insight. We're going to unpack, the, what was the insight they missed that was, should have been obvious, but they missed it. I'm going to give you clues, and I want you to shout amen like you mean it if you figure it out. We're going to play a game, okay? It's like clue, I don't know, it's not really like clue. How does that even work? I haven't played it in a long time. I don't know. I'm going to give you clues, but when you think you got the insight, I want to hear you say amen loud enough that I can hear. All right, you got me? This is participation time. All right. There's so many people in here that just, just like freaked out right now. Hold, what is, what is, does he mean out loud? Okay, like, if you're going to nervous vomit over that, just raise your hand and wave it a little bit. I'll take that as your amen, okay? <laughs> I love you. Every one of you, man. I'm telling you. Okay. I'm going to show, so we're going to work on, I'm going to give you clues. What was the insight? What did they miss? First of all, they get to the, they get to the shore and, and what happens when Jesus sees the people? What does it say? He had compassion on them. Why? These are all clues to the insight. He had compassion on them. Why did he have compassion on them? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Remember? What did they get in the boat for? Boys, let's go chill out a minute. What happened? Soon as the boat bumps up on the shore, boom, there's already a crowd. Okay? So somebody could be irritated by that. I'm trying to get some R&R. I'm sure the disciples kind of were. But Jesus sees this crowd and what? Has compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's your first clue. Secondly, it it makes a point to tell us two different ways that this was a desolate place, right? First of all, it told us we're going to look for a secluded place to go find rest, didn't it? You remember that? So they're looking for somewhere that maybe no one's going to be, hopefully. So it's a secluded place. And then later on, when they come to tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, everyone's hungry. As if Jesus didn't know that. I, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes the disciples, man, they're just like, they're awesome. They're me. Um, but so Jesus, this place is desolate. So let's send them away so they can go into nearby towns where there's people and food, right? So it's a, it's a remote, desolate place. But there's, there's this other little thing that it kept, it kept bothering me. It's like, man, the Bible puts these little details in and it's, you could just glaze over it, man, like it's no big deal. Why did it make the point to say he made them sit down on green grass? It's a desolate place, remote place, and yet it makes, it didn't just tell them to sit down. I mean, that's a detail. That's, that's a thing that was intentionally put in there for some reason. So he has them sit down on green grass. Other, uh, you know, the book of John and other places where this is talked about, uh, it's the book of John actually specifically says there was much grass there. Okay, so you know it's not just a fluke. The Mark was like, you know, Mark's like a landscaper or something, so he really likes grass, so he just mentioned it. It's a thing. Okay? All right, I'm giving you clues. This whole thing happened where? Okay? They, they, they came up in a boat. As soon as they hit the shore, they saw the crowd. So that means they're next to what? A big body of water. Anybody got it yet? I haven't heard an amen or seen a hand yet. Okay, well... <clears throat> You're either lying or too scared or we're right where the disciples were because they should have had it by now. The clues that I've given you, the disciples should have known exactly the insight that Jesus 
was making a big deal about here in the way all this happened, in all these little details. But they needed a follow-up lesson. So what, how does the follow-up lesson come? It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give them more clues to what the insight is, what the message is that Jesus was doing with this thing. Any of you know the elevation of the Sea of Galilee? I will buy you lunch if you know the elevation of the Sea of Galilee right off the top of your head. Go ahead. If you do, shout it out. No, okay. 700 feet below sea level. So what does that mean? That means these guys were out at night rowing in a boat in this low spot with mountains all around it. What do we call that? That's a valley. Is it happening yet? I see some nodding, but people still scared. I don't know. He's so tricky. Maybe I'm wrong. No, you, it, you, you probably got it. Okay, so what does that mean? That means they're in a valley in the dark and they're caught in a potentially deadly storm. There we go. There we go. I knew some of you were with me. Let me read you something written 900 to 1,000 years before Jesus was born. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. What was Jesus doing before he broke bread and fed everyone? He said he taught many things. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's very interesting that Jesus said, take all those people and put them in orderly groups, 50s and 100s. We're not just going to have a big scattered Woodstock looking thing here. We're going to set up and prepare what? Almost like a little table there in the wilderness, which many make a point to juxtapose up and against the table that Herod had set earlier in Mark 6, a table of sin and foolishness. Jesus set his own table out here in the wilderness. We're about to have a meal together. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay? What's the insight? Well, let me ask you this. Who is the shepherd in Psalm 23? The is my shepherd. The Lord. So what was Jesus doing when he when he has compassion on them like, like sheep without a shepherd, when he sits them down in neat little rows and prepares a table in the wilderness, when he does it on green grass next to still waters, what was he doing? Come on, man, he was making a declaration. The insight they missed is that who they were dealing with was the Lord, which explains why Mark made a point to say, why would, the reason Jesus had to walk out there and the reason why he had to say, do not fear for it is I, is because they missed the point from the whole deal before. If they would have come to the realization that this is the Lord that they're dealing with, where would the fear have been when they're out there rowing? The Lord told me to do this. This is the Lord we're dealing with, who is, to all the commentators' point, the master of all creation. So if this wind is happening, this wind is happening, but the Lord ain't abandoning us, and he's not weak that he can't save, and so we're just going to keep on rowing. We ain't going to be scared of nothing. Keep on obeying, even though this doesn't, isn't going like I thought it was going to go. Come on, man. The insight they missed, and this is what... Oh, man, it burns me up. People are like, oh, well, you know, technically Jesus never claimed to be God. Are you, are you kidding me? Are you, are you serious? I mean, I, I know this one you got to look and think a little bit. I mean, there's much more obvious. But he was always, that's, that was what he was doing. <laughs> that's, 
That was what he was doing. That's what we need to see in all these miracles, man. He's preaching the gospel constantly. He's pointing to himself constantly. He's, coin- he's pointing to his supremacy constantly. That, that this is why the Pharisees and everyone else, was, they were so mad. They got it. They got it half the time when his disciples missed it. Everybody there should have been thinking of Psalm 23 when he had him sitting down on green grass next to still waters and he's preparing a table before him before the Lord. I mean, come on, man. But they didn't get it. And so, so he, took them, he took them through that valley, the shadow of death, and he, and he showed up there, showing they had no reason to fear there either. Now, <clears throat> sidebar, true confession time for all of you. How many of you were born in the 70s or 80s and you struggle every time you hear Psalm 23 to not hear Coolio's voice? As I walk through the valley of the shit. <laughs> ah! Hey, got me, man. Every time. Like, Lord, take, burn that from my neurons. I want to just read it like it is. I don't want to hear Coolio narrating the Psalms. You know what I mean? I got to be honest, though. That was 95. I vibed to that song just like that dude on the skateboard listening to Fleetwood Mac drinking ocean spray. That was me, man. We've been living most our lives. You don't even know that. No, but hey, okay, so there's that. But who knows more words to the Weird Al remake? How many remember that? I churn butter once or twice. Because he's talking about an Amish paradise. Man, the 90s. Woo, what a, what a decade. Jesus, help us. And all of you in here are like, well, I've never heard of that. Shut up, you're young. <laughs> and I'm not anymore. Sermon's over. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, you know, I, I've already kind of said this. I, you know, there, any other questions I ask you should be easier than, than the one I had to give you a bunch of clues for. But, like, how did all this come about? How did this miracle of the feeding 5,000, how did this miracle of Jesus ending up walking on the water, how did, it all, how did all this get started? They were looking for rest, right? Isn't that how it started? They ended up in this spot in front of all these people, and then they got sent away, and then back out on the water. All that whole series of events started with them looking for rest. But my question to you is, what did they get instead? They got a bunch more work, didn't they? The disciples, can you just imagine, they just got done, they, you know, he, they did all this ministry, they came back, Jesus, here's all the stuff that happened, here's how God used this. Jesus says, all right, boys. Let's go get some rest. Can you just imagine? They're like, yes. Finally, in the boat, sunny, it's windy. It's like, oh, it's good. We're resting. And then, don't, you know, they hit the, hit the shore. Boom, you got all these people. They're like, you know, they're looking at Jesus like, what are you going to do? You know, and he's, guys, they're like sheep without a shepherd. I'm, I'm about to teach them. Okay, here we go, right? And, and, then, and, then, and then everybody's hungry. And so now, they got, now they're trying to figure out how to do that. They've got to distribute all this food, and they're dealing with all the people. They were looking for rest, but they got a bunch more work. But here's the thing. This is, here's what I want us to see. There is, a, there is a beauty, a precious beauty about working with Jesus. And, and this is, it's difficult to grasp because also several commentators I read, their takeaway from those few verses in the beginning where it talks about Jesus saying, all right, let's go to rest. I mean, basically their summary of it is like, well, you know, even Jesus needed rest, so we do too. Like that would be the application. Well, you know, Jesus, even if Jesus needed rest, then you do too. And, and like ultimately I think that principle is true 100% and it's shown elsewhere, but I really don't think it's the idea here. 
If that was the idea meant to be getting across, then they followed it up really poorly, right? Like if what they wanted you to get from those three verses is, you should make sure you rest, because even Jesus rested, and then, and then immediately what happens is they do a bunch more ministry and end up oaring all night. Like, well, <laughs> that doesn't line up, right? But here's the beauty about working with Jesus. I'm going to read Matthew 11, starting in verse 28 to you. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Hold on a second. A yoke is an implement of labor, is it not? I'm not talking about an egg yoke, okay? We got to go ancient agriculture here. You guys with me? Big wooden thing with holes in it for animal heads, okay? So they could pull the plow or whatever. Take my yoke upon me and learn from... Hold on, Jesus. Hold on. All who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Okay, good. I like that one. Rest is... Yeah, I like vacation. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What? For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh Uh-oh. Here's here's the deal. When you see and when you know who Jesus truly is, then you can truly trust him. That's the insight the disciples missed. Jesus was making as plain as possible, he is the Lord of Psalm 23. And when we truly know who he is, we can truly trust him. And then what happens? With With that yoke, with his yoke upon us, right? Because they did not get to go on the beach trip they were hoping to get to go on and just chill out, did they? No, they were right back into more and even intense ministry than they may have been before. But what happens is, when you take Christ's yoke upon you, when you work with Jesus, when you know who he is, then the weight, the weight of, you're taking his weight on. He said, my burden is light. So what are you trading? Well, the weight of worry over provision is lifted. Isn't it? I mean, that should be something else we get out of this deal with feeding the 5,000, right? God can take your little bit and do something with it you'd have never thought possible. We don't need to worry that, that Matthew 6 is true, right? That, that sparrows don't store in barns, that lilies don't toil and spin, but God, he provides for them, and that you're much more important than they, right? So the worry of provision is lifted off of us when we're working with Jesus, when we're doing what he's called us to do. And we truly know who he is. Truly. And we can truly trust him. The weight of worry over your worth is lifted. How many people are exhausted constantly on that hamster wheel mentally of, of trying to value themselves and find some place on, on the register to say, okay, yeah, that's, that's where I belong. That's, that is my value. That is my worth. Trying to get it from other people. The, The weight of wondering if you're truly loved is lifted when you take on the yoke of Christ. The weight of of needing affirmation from others all the time is lifted when you've been affirmed in Christ, when you've taken that invitation from him and let him saddle you with that yoke. Is there a labor to it? For for sure, but it's easy and it's light. Look Look at what we're getting to cast off in comparison. The weight of worry over provision and, and your worth and whether you're truly loved and, and needing affirmation all the time or the, the, weight o, o, the weight of worry over the future is lifted. How many people are weighed down so often by anxiety and fear over the future? 
And Jesus pointing us to Psalm 23, there's an answer there. Verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 23, it says, My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, you know, I alluded to it earlier, trying to put yourself in the disciples' shoes, and they're they're out there oaring, and this wind is against them, and and, and how could you, as, as a human being, how could you not be sitting there thinking, Jesus, we did exactly what you asked us to do, and here we are. Right? That's, that is a basic human instinct. And I think it is worthwhile for us to, when we are tempted to think that way, or when we are trying to help others who are stuck thinking that way, to point them to the promise of God's word that says, he is working all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. We see that very thing play out when Jesus walks out to them on the water and finishes the lesson they missed and gives them another shot at the insight they missed. What was the insight, church? That he is Lord, that's an important one to get. It's for their good and their benefit that they come to that conclusion, is it not? Like the biggest deal? I don't know. Right? It's good for us to call people's attention to that and for them to be able to trust that even when they don't see how it's possible, God is working all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. But at the same time, It says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, sometimes, I think think it is good for us to consider in ways I'm not even aware, God's always working. That to me is one of the most powerful ways to stay out of that trap. But also there's, there's this idea, Peter talks about it later. He's like, listen, the present suffering and trial that you're going through, it doesn't compare at all to the weight of eternal glory. I think part of our problem, part of why I spend a lot of time as a pastor trying to say to people, hey, remember remember God's promise. Remember, you may not be able to see how right now, but remember, he's working for your good. Is I don't even know if as much as we end up needing that, we should need that, if eternity was more on our minds. Because here's the deal. Are all of us suffering in some way right now? Yes. Life is busted and broken and hard. Yes. But to some degree, there needs to be a greater comfort for us in this great word of God. That there is an eternal weight of glory we are going to inherit. That we got 80, 90, maybe 100 years here, depending on how many veggies you ate. But there's eternity on the other side of that. And if that doesn't bring a healing, calming, soothing balm to your soul as you deal with the difficulties of this world. Eternity and the promise of all of time forever after this with God, if that's not doing something for you, then dear friends, if that doesn't speak to you and that doesn't bring calm to you, that very idea, the comparison between the length of this life and eternity, I think, I don't know, sometimes I think we think too hard. Sometimes I, th- I think we're looking for, for more. There's the, the answers are here, man. <laughs> and, and sometimes they're simple and we don't like that. We like more complex answers. Here, here's an answer for you. I know you're going through it right now. I know you are and I am too. But you know what? It won't be long. It won't be long. It ain't going to be that long. Oh, I know it feels long. But that's because we don't think in eternal terms. Because we let hours and days and weeks and months feel like long to us because our mind isn't fixed upon the reality of eternity, man. This timeline looks a lot different than your calendar shows. Amen? Will you just be encouraged by eternity? That's, that's really what I'm asking for. I guess I could have said that shorter. 
To be with Jesus and to work with Jesus for the furthering of his gospel and the building of his kingdom is the only true place of rest for our souls. Did you hear that? I'm going to say it again. It's real important in case you checked out. To be with Jesus and to work with Jesus for the furthering of his gospel and the building of his kingdom is the only true place of rest for our souls. What did Jesus say? All who are weary and heavy laden, come and I'll give you rest. How? I'm going to put my yoke on you. You're going to find rest for your souls there. What? It's, it's, it's like this. I, I know some of you are hearing that and you're like, okay, dude, but here's what you don't get. I feel so low. I feel so broken. I hear what you're saying. I hear your principle. That what, where I'm going to find rest for my soul is joining Jesus in, in blessing and helping and, and loving others and pointing them to him. I hear what you're saying, but you, you don't get how low I feel. You, don't feel. you don't understand how far down in the pit I feel and how... I don't even see how that's possible, how I can do that. And, and the only, you may, there's, there's always going to be a faith element to believe things that are contrary to what we feel in a moment. But there's really two ways that could look. One is, you, I understand, you may feel really busted right now. You may feel really drained and really tired. I would just say to you again, that's who Jesus was talking to when he said, come all who are weary and heavy laden. He's talking to you, and he said, come put my yoke on. You'll find rest for your soul. So you're going to have to decide kind of like, is your perspective of the way all this works better than his? Probably not, right? So there's that. But in terms of how this practically looks, you may feel really low, but, but oftentimes, friends, if you'll, if you'll kind of look up from the notes of your own despair and look around, you'll, you'll find somebody who feels even lower. And there is, there is a blessing and there is a beauty in you being able to reach from your low spot and grab them and help pull them up. That's part of what Jesus is trying to tell you. You're going to find rest for your souls. The disciples were wore out, man. They had just done a bunch of ministry. And what did Jesus throw them into for their good? A bunch more ministry. Why? Haven't you experienced it? Haven't you experienced the joy of, of not being selfish? Haven't you tasted and touched that before? Like, isn't it real? It is. To, to live as, if we were, as, as we were truly designed to live, as beings of love, as agents of service for others. It's refreshing. But you might say, listen, man, I have looked up, and there is no one for me to reach down to. I'm at the bottom of the barrel. Okay? You're, well, then you're probably not alone down there, so maybe it isn't, maybe it isn't reaching down to pull up, but, but maybe it's you in love stooping down and being willing to give someone else a foot up out of the bottom. Either way, you're going to find joy and you're going to find rest for your soul. You're going to get to taste of the beauty of working with Jesus, of serving others. There's a refreshment that comes. You're poured into as you serve others. I, we just, I don't know, man. I don't know if it's the vacation industry or just America or what we've done, but we are all really convinced when we feel tired, what we... I just need a break. And listen, I'm not, total, I'm not saying, listen, the Sabbath is in the Bible and there are times when Jesus rested. Yes, all of that, but that's not today's sermon, okay? Today's sermon is sometimes we need to see the, the way out is, is not a beach vacation. The way to find rest for your soul is to say, 
okay, Lord, and stick your neck out and let him put that yoke on you and experience the reality of the truth of his word. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because here's what happens. When you take his, you get to throw away some of the ones you were already wearing that were wearing you out. Worry about provision and worry about your worth and worry about the future. When you're walking in lockstep with the king, you really know who he is and you're full of trust in his good character. Those yokes, those yokes can be firewood, man. Amen. Amen. You know, this idea, it, we, we can learn something from the example of a bunch of people in these last three verses that didn't even fully understand who Jesus was yet. Let's just look at that one more time. Last three verses. When they had crossed over, they came to <clears throat> land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him. Who? What people? All, all the people around there. And they ran about the whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were being cured. Friends, much has been made of, of 2020. Many have likened it to a dumpster fire or just you know pick your analogy, right? Most people are at least tongue-in-cheek like 2020 is a bummer, right? But... What have we done and what will we do as those who hold the precious jewel of Christ's gospel in our hands? In the light of all that is going on, what are we going to do? Are we going to wallow in self-pity and join the chorus of the discontented complaining about how hard we have it? Or, or maybe even worse, are we simply going to make light of all the struggle that people are experiencing by posting a few memes and moving on? May it never be that that's how God's people would handle it. Instead, may it be said of us that when many, when many were struck with the disability of division or the, or the sickness of suffering, that we ran about the whole country doing all that we could to get people to Jesus. May it be said of us that instead of curling up into a ball, that we... These, look, these folks that ran around getting all the sick and everyone who needed a touch from Jesus, they didn't even fully know yet who he was. And yet that's what they were doing. My great hope is that that will also be our response. 2020 has been rough. I, what's 2020? I mean, if you're superstitious enough to think that, you know, Ryan Seacrest is going to you know, announce the ball drop and everything's just going <laughs> to... Go the opposite direction, man. I just don't think so. There's, there's going to be struggle. There's going to be more difficulty. Until that great and glorious day. That we're done with all that. But what are we going to do in the face of it? Well, I hope we'll be like these people that didn't even really know it was the Lord that they were getting people to. We do know. You know he's the Lord, right? Do you know that? Is that the answer? Is that what people need? These people that are, that are stuck out here, that are, that are suffering, that are struggling, that are overwhelmed by all that's going on, crippled with anxiety. They need Jesus. The theme continues. 
this week that's been present in every verse of Mark so far, and I would submit to you is present in all of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. What is that theme? The theme is we all need Jesus. And here's the thing, man. I know some of you are like, whoo, buddy, you know, we're a lot of weeks into this thing, and you, you keep saying that, that we all need Jesus. Like, I got it. Well, do you? Because the disciples were sitting there when 5,000 people got fed with five loaves and two fishes, and they still needed Jesus to walk out on the water like a ghost to get it. So what's my point? I love you. Maybe it didn't sound like it just there, but I need to get your attention. I do love you, and here's what we need to realize. We can think we got it and, and not got it. And we can get it, and we can sometimes lose it. Sometimes you can have yourself in a place where you're, you're trusting the Lord and you've taken on his yoke, but you can get, feel like you're, you're, you're too tired even for that. And people will cast that off or forget who Jesus really is and that he's worthy of our trust. But man, is, the, is that the message? I, like, I kind of like the Jesus' chief over creation thing better. Are you sure this is really the point we're supposed to get? Well, I would just turn you to verse 50. What did Jesus say? What was his big summary statement? Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Who did Jesus point at? himself. It's where we should be pointing. Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. The question we need to ask ourselves today is, how long are we going to strain at the oars thinking there's any hope of overcoming the little storms in our life on our own? How long will we strain at the oars thinking there is any hope of overcoming the hurricane force wind of sin that separates us from God? How long are we going to think it's, a, it's going to be about our efforts? When we come to realize what we need to realize, which is that our only hope is Jesus being in the boat with us. We need to realize, each one of us, that we are bumbling sheep without a shepherd. And our only hope is to heed his voice, letting the good shepherd lead us to the green grass and still waters of salvation by his grace through faith and trusting him. Can you say that today? I'm a sheep. Go ahead, say it out loud. It'd be good for you to hear it. I'm a sheep. Somebody bad in here, whoever that was. We are, man. We need a shepherd. We need to be yoked up to him so that we can't be wandering around doing our own little foolish thing. I need to be locked in right next to him. So every single time I'm tempted to get discouraged, I can just look up at my master. I can look at my shepherd again. I can listen to his voice again and remember who I'm with, the Lord, because it's the Lord. That's why I have no reason for fear. That's why anxiety doesn't get to rule, because of him. Friends, may we live and move and work and rest in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for these miracles that at first glance maybe don't seem like they go together. But God, we see. We see the thread that you wove through as you had Mark write these words just like you did. God, please help us. Help us not to be ones that miss that insight, the insight of all insights, that Jesus is Lord, and because he's Lord, all that that means. God, help us trade 
the yokes that we often willingly wear for the only one we were truly made to wear. Help us, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, because we are foolish sheep, and we get our heads stuck in all kinds of things all the time. And then sometimes it gets comfortable, and we just, we just go ahead and wear it. Lord, please, come and break those yokes from our necks. Even if we're kicking and, and, and fighting and biting, Lord, please, we're asking for your help. We don't want to live enslaved to yokes we were never meant to wear. We want that light one, where the burden is easy, where there's rest for our souls. And God, we want to engage fully, believing that, yes, we're broken. Yes, we have issues. Yes, we are riddled with inadequacies. But God, that you delight in taking people just like that, putting your yoke upon them and using them for your glory. So in the end, there is no confusion that no one may boast, that we all know it is by your power and by your grace alone that any of us stand, that any of us accomplish anything that will count for eternity. And Lord, please, as your people, it is hard for us living in this time and space paradigm where we are, it's hard for us to keep eternity in view. But Lord, we know it is for our good if we do. So please help us with that. And please forgive us of every sin that's been a result of forgetting the promise of eternity with you. Lord, we love you, and we know we need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.